Uh, Acts 17.22, let me explain this to you real quick. Uh, It says that when Paul went into Athens, he said, I see that you all are very religious people, except that's not what he said. He said, I see that you all are very superstitious. They worshiped everything. They, they, weren't, they weren't worshiping the true God in any way. They were so superstitious, they worshiped everything. And so we thought we'd just have some fun and throw that in. And the kids, how about the youth that read those scriptures? I don't give them a great hand. <clears throat> My daughter Leah said, you know, we want to get the, some of the FCA athletes up to read. And I saw this is perfect. There's Areopagus and Dionysius. It's the perfect... Uh, perfect passage to have them read. Yeah. Uh, so we're in Acts 17. We'll get to that verse 22 where it talks about superstition. And you might be amazed at how many people today still struggle with superstition in their own life rather than worshiping the true living God that Paul's going to explain. But before we get to that, I have just a couple things that I need to talk about. We have two mission trips that are out in the lobby. These are brand new and they're to be signed up for. One of them is to get up into the Appalachian Mountains. We have three groups wanting this. And so it's really about timing who needs this and where. Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia totally destroyed whole counties with the flooding. And so uh, there's, there's a, we have a team going in the next couple of weeks. So if you have time off and you can go, uh, it's, you're helping. You're distributing items. You're cleaning up. Uh, whatever. We also have a team going to Egypt. This is a pop-up trip that's going in November. Uh, I think it's like from the 6th to the 16th. And uh, we need about 20 people to go on that trip. So if Egypt is on your bucket list, you want to see Egypt and make a huge difference amongst our church plants, sign up for that trip. Now, what we're doing for the flooding situation is twofold. Number one, there's so many things going on, people are collecting. We decided to focus simply on babies. So what Tomoka is going to do is baby formula, baby wipes, and diapers, anything to do with babies. Uh, because if you can't get to the store or the stores are wiped out, um, you know, adults sometimes can suck it up, but it's pretty hard for babies. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so that's what we're going to collect. And the team that goes up will take that with them when they go. And then there's this story. <clears throat> so last weekend, I'm watching online. And our friend Josh Paul, who's been on stage with me from Anchor Ridge, he's uh, the leader of that great ministry up there. Uh, he's asking for everything. I mean, th- they literally need everything. And and But he said, I, I got to have a forklift. And he's showing these trucks coming. He's got huge trucks coming in with pallets of water and pallets of food. And he said, Joe, we can't move these without a forklift. So I'm thinking, how much is a forklift? Does anybody know? Yeah, it's somewhere between thirty and th- or twenty and $30,000. So I don't know that. So I just, I said, well, I'm not going to deal with it this way. I texted him and I said, well, Josh, how much do you need? He goes, well, a forklift, a good used one's about 20000 I said, oh, and how much do you have? He goes, three. <laughs> so I sat there a minute and prayed and I said, okay, Josh. I said, we'll send you the 17000 I said, not sure uh, how uh, I'll get treated when I uh, go to ask for this money. Uh, but they were great. We sent the money Monday, uh, but I didn't know how we were going to pay for it. So this week we got our paychecks and I never look at the pay stub because it's always the same. And when I got my, my pay stub, I noticed it was kind of thick. 
So I pulled it out, and there was the paper, and then there was this huge piece of parsley I pulled out. And I thought, that was weird. Apparently, they've garnished my wages. <laughs> All right, the only thing that's not true in that story is the last part. Um, we did give $17,000 to buy that forklift because they needed it. So, um, <clears throat> But I would appreciate you all helping me get out of trouble. There's a box in the lobby to help pay for said forklift, and uh, that, would be, that would be very helpful. Uh, but that will be something they'll have, they'll have forever. So get your Bibles out to Acts 17. Right? Just because the kids read it doesn't mean that we don't need uh, to take a look at it because there's a lot... Uh, a lot going on here. So Athens is a fascinating city. It was then, it is now. Okay, When Paul walks into Athens, the Parthenon is already 500 years old. The Persians have already destroyed it. The Athenians have rebuilt it. Inside the Parthenon, all the way in the back, stood a massive gold statue of Athena that they worshipped. Now, they were no different than most cultures. Um, the, the Athenians worshipped everything. Okay, They didn't have one deity. For instance, if, if I were to say Poseidon, you would say the god of, god of the sea. Yeah. So they had a god of the sea, they had a god of thunder, they had a god of fire, they had a god of the sky. They've got all these gods. And in Athens, when Paul gets there, they have statues everywhere, all around here. And all around the Parthenon were statues of other gods. And there were so many that it was hard to even keep track. And then Paul runs into this one that has a plaque on it that says, To an unknown God. Just in case we missed one. Alright? Superstitious. We want to make sure we cover all of our bases <clears throat> so we worship everything. That was their, that was their theory. <clears throat> now if you go to Athens today, none of those statues are there. <clears throat> Because when Christianity took hold, that's idolatry. And so the Christians tore out all those statues. But the bases of those statues are all still there. They're huge. Huge blocks of rock, concrete. And literally, when you're down in this area here, you walk around. You, you can walk all the way around the Parthenon and never once touch the ground. You can just go from pedestal to pedestal to pedestal to pedestal. And in case you're wondering, did Paul make this up? There's several secular writers from before Paul's time that write about this God, this unknown God altar that people worshiped at. So Paul goes into Athens and he sees all of this. Now, it wouldn't even been when he got into Athens because on the road in, <clears throat> Paul would have walked in on a road called the Anician Way, um, which, which ex went across the Greek, the Greek world and when he got close to Athens, the gods are lining the streets. So by the time he gets into Athens, Paul's already fed up. He can't imagine all that he's seen. And it says early on there in this passage that Paul's heart was stirred within him. He got 
excited, angry. We're not exactly sure what the emotion was, but he was stirred that the people were so caught up in superstition. And another word for superstition is really witchcraft, that basically they were so blinded that they would worship everything rather than find the true God. And Paul's like, that's what I'm here to tell you about. So Paul gets stirred up. I love it. I love the word. Because so many Christians I know, and honestly most churches I know, there's no stirred up. There's no excitement. There's no passion. Um, They don't want to do anything. They don't want to pray about anything. They just want to come, have a little meeting, go home. Church really doesn't impact their life. Christianity certainly doesn't impact their lives. And that's not what we're called to. This city is about 50%. About one out of every two people you see is going to hell right now. Just give that some thought. And you're in one of the best places in the United States. You're in the, you're in the Bible Belt. I mean, we're, south, we're the south part of the Belt. But still, one in two. <clears throat> in the Northeast, in the Northwest, less than 6% of the people have anything to do with Jesus. Less than 6%. And... This is America. This is not even talking about the rest of the world. And what have people fallen for? Everything. We worship sexuality. We worship science. We worship man. We worship the climate. We will worship anything except when somebody tries to tell us about the true God. Now let me tell you something. People that are not excited about Jesus and not excited about their faith and not excited about their church are never going to change anybody else. Who changes people? People who are passionate about what they believe. Oh, I see you're so passionate, you go to church almost quarterly. (laughs) You're so passionate. I mean, you start, what is it when your neighbors ought to be able to tell, your friends ought to be able to tell. I notice you talk differently. I notice that you don't laugh at the same things I laugh at. I notice... I notice that you spend your money differently than I do. See, that's the kind of things that you and I get known for. But Paul goes in and he sees this. And part of the stirring is he's broken. The the word also includes the idea that, that he's heartbroken for the people because they've fallen for all this. That they're worshiping statues and idols and gold and silver. Now, please understand from the Athenians... That's, this is pretty much where we get our republic today. That we, we borrowed a whole lot of their stuff. But these are the people of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. So Paul's walking in heavy, heavy shoes here when he comes to town. And interestingly enough, this is the place where Paul was the least successful. The very ending, you heard, you heard the, the last reading was there were a few people that became followers of Christ. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Athens is a university town. And because there's PhDs everywhere. And these guys know so much, they've already ruled God out. Or they bought into this idea of just worship everything. And we talk about, there were two kinds of people there, the Epicureans and the Stoics. You talk about something to bring home in today's culture, okay? The Epicureans simply believed, uh, you hear that word used with cooking sometimes today, uh, Epicureans were all about pleasure. 
Whatever we have to do to feel good. If we have to eat an entire side of beef, we'll do it. If we have to sleep with eight people, we'll do it. If we have to drink for three weeks, we'll do it. That's an Epicurean. A Stoic was the guy that just sat around and thought. There's a lot of this going on in Athens. Nobody's working. They're sitting because they're elite. You need to understand. The Athenians thought they were better than everybody else. Better than the Spartans, better than the Corinthians, better than the Romans. <clears throat> they're on top of their game. And so they look down at the rest of the world. And into this world steps Paul with a stirred up heart. He's like, I've got to do something about this. And no, he didn't win the whole city of Athens. He didn't leave a huge church behind. Although I will tell you that to this day, even though it's a secular Christianity, Greece is still Christian. Right? It needs, it needs a lot of work, but Paul's impact there did make a difference, even if he only won a few people at the time. But I wonder what it will take to get you and me stirred up for God. To be concerned about the fact that every other person I see when I go to Publix is going to hell. What's it going to take to get us to pray differently, to act differently, to talk differently, to start inviting? What will it take to get us to do that? I want to tell you a story about a guy named Leslie Howard. Here's his picture. I put it up in black and white. If I had it in color, I think you might know better. He's a redhead. Anybody know who he is? He was in Gone with the Wind. Oh, Ashley. Oh, Ashley. All right. You with me now? <clears throat> he was the heartthrob. Uh, he was one of the top guys um, in 1939. He had a massive contract. <clears throat> when Hitler invaded Poland, Leslie, who was a Hungarian Jew, actually paid the movie studio, bought out his own contract. And spent the rest of his life making anti-Nazi propaganda. Because he realized there was something more important than making movies in Hollywood. And honestly, it, it, it didn't end well. In 1940, Goebbels personally had him shot down. Had his plane shot down flying from Portugal into England. But he spent the last year of his life fighting against evil. And fighting to keep the world free. He could have stayed in Hollywood. He could have been comfortable. He was already rich. He could have, he could have taken a whole different tack. But his heart was stirred within him. And he decided that there was something more important than himself. When will we as the church come to that same conclusion? This is a, a picture of the galaxy. I just, this, this new, um, this new telescope just fascinates me. Are you following some of the pictures uh, that are coming out? A galaxy's billions and trillions of, of light years away. Um, but this is one of, they say, the, one of the oldest ones. And I, and I saw this. I'm, this is, I'm not going to give you science. I'm just going to tell you what this looks like to me. Because we're told that God spoke the world into existence. And if God were speaking and he said, go, wouldn't you think it would look something like that? I don't know. That's just, that's just free. All right. <clears throat> Secondly, when he gets stirred up, he does something about it. I know people that do get stirred up, but they still don't do anything. Paul goes and he confronts the situation. He starts talking to people. Now, everybody talks in Athens. Remember, these are, these are upper 
class. These are elites and they don't work. They talk. And so he goes up to a place called the Areopagus, Mars Hill. And from the top of Mars Hill, by the way, on Mars Hill, I have preached this very passage, but from Mars Hill, you look right at the Acropolis. So he's looking right into the eyes of all of their idols, including their number one pagan god, Athena, right there. And he says, guys, the god that you worship is unknown. I'd like to tell you about him. Now, what we have here in Acts 17, while it looks long to us, there's no doubt an outline. Remember, this is Luke that's writing this. And Luke gave us an outline. Paul probably spoke for eight or nine hours. And he, we, what would he have talked about? He would have talked about the prophecies about the Messiah coming. He would have talked about how Jesus fulfilled those. The thing that really got him was when Paul started talking about the resurrection of the dead. said some of them sneered about that. But some of them said, you know, this is interesting. Like to hear some more about this. And a few people right then said, you know what? We get it. This, we know this is true. But Paul tells them about the unknown God. And in our world today, you need to understand that Jesus is in many circles of the American culture. Jesus is an unknown God. Except for a cuss word. And you and I get to tell them about who he is. And a lot of times they'll ask. People want to know. And, or you ask them, would you like to know? Because sometimes people say no. They're like, okay, well, you know, I'm just not going to waste my time. But a lot of people are actually interested if we build that right relationship. So Paul begins to unpack this whole story for them and explains to them that there is one name above all other names. All right, And he talks about at the very last verse, he said at the end of time, there is one man who will judge the entire world. Who's that one man? Yeah, it's Jesus, who is God. Yes, that is correct. And so not, not this idol and not this idol and not this idol and not your car and not your power and not, not your sexual issues. And none of this matters. What's going to matter is your relationship with the living God. Now, there's an author and a historian named Tom Holland, and you have no reason to know Tom, but there he is. And, and Tom wrote this article recently, pretty powerful. Tom says that ancient cultures were very cruel. Well, we know that. We've, we've uh, studied the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But he says the Spartans, who lived just south of uh, Athens, he said the, Spart the Spartans routinely murdered any imperfect imperfect children. The bodies of slaves were treated like outlets for the physical pleasure of those with power. Infanticide was common. The poor and the weak had no rights. So he said, how did we get from that world to the world that we live in now? Listen to this. How did we get there? It was Christianity. Holland writes, Christianity revolutionized sex and marriage, demanding that men control themselves and prohibiting all forms of rape. Christianity confined sexuality within monogamy. It's ironic, Holland notes, that these are now the standards for which Christianity is derided. Christianity elevated women, and in short, Christianity utterly transformed the world. Amen. Now... Here's what I want to tell you about Tom Holland, author, historian, and atheist. 
But he just studied history and he said, well, the only thing that changed from where the cruel world was under the Spartans and Athenians to the world we have now, the only, the only thing that changed was Christianity. Give that some thought. But Jesus says, or in Philippians, it is Jesus saying it, but it says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So let's take a look at that name. You might want to even screenshot this. Um, I'm going to tell you something I've started doing in my prayer time. Um, I've always kind of felt bad just saying God. There's nothing wrong with praying to God. Um, but it's a generic word. It means the good one. And there's nothing wrong with that. But with like this telescope thing, what I've been doing is I started praying to the star maker. Just like, okay, that just, that reminds me how big he is and how, well, how big I'm not. And here's some of the names that are used for God in scripture. You want to screenshot these, you can use these instead of being generic. He's wonderful. He's the savior, the Messiah. He's our master, the word of God. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the word of God made flesh. He's the deliverer. He's our friend. He's the great I am. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, our redeemer, the bread of life, the counselor, the good shepherd, Emmanuel, which means son of the, the um, Emmanuel, God, God in flesh, lamb of God. Prince of Peace, Christ the Anointed One, and Jesus, which means the one who comes to save. So there's just some words that you can use. But that's who Paul's talking about. They're talking about all of these idols that they've made uh, representing air and land and water and some strong guy. And they, they're worshiping all of this. And Paul said, no, I want to tell you about the one that when it's all over, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That he is Lord over all. Such a powerful, such a powerful statement. And again, some people listen. Don't be bothered when the whole world doesn't run and embrace you for telling them. Rejoice if one or two ask questions and you get a chance to just keep moving the ball forward. So then... Paul finally gets to the key of this, and I love how he does it, which sort of fits why we did the song Superstition. Paul keeps quoting their philosophers. <clears throat> now, this bothers a lot of people today because they're like, why would Paul quote their pagan philosophers? And it's because pagan philosophers sometimes say things that are very true. Just because they're a non-believer doesn't mean they can't write something that's true. So Paul quotes some of their own writers. Why would he do that? Well, he's trying to build a bridge. They know that quote. They teach that quote. They live by that quote. So when Paul quotes one of their own philosophers, it builds a bridge back to them so that he can now tell them about God. He said some of your own philosophers even said an amazing thing. But the last part of this is really what brings it all together. And that is he teaches them that all blood is red. Now this seems like a real simple principle. And I wouldn't teach this to you today except that we haven't figured it out in America in the 21st century. This is fascinating. Paul says to them, again, the Athenians, remember, they believe they fell from heaven. Just to give it to you straight. They, they are the Aryans before they're Aryans. They believe they are the elite. They are superior. 
Um, there's, there's Athens and then there's everybody else. That's how the Persians felt. It's how the Greek, it's how the Romans felt. Uh, it's how some United States feel. It's, you know, it's, this has always been there. And when you're on top or your, your culture's had a great ride in history, everybody to some degree feels that way. But Paul levels the playing field. What does he say? He says, here's the deal, guys. From one man, God made all of mankind. Do you see that? You might want to highlight that in your Bible. From one man. Well, we know who that one man was. His name was Adam. And Adam means what? Yeah, ruddy complexion, red. Adam was made out of? Clay, dirt, whatever. All right, dirt has eight different shades to it. Did you know that? You do now. Free information. Dirt has eight different shades. If you're from Georgia, uh, you, you might see more what, uh, what Adam really looked like, that red clay that's up there. But there's eight different shades. Here's, here's what it looks like. All right, you can see it here on a mountain, eight different shades. <clears throat> here's humanity, and here's what we look like. Now, isn't it ironic that you don't know any people who are blue? Right? Know anybody that's green? No. There's eight shades of human beings, and all of them are the shades of dirt. Huh. Wonder where that came from. So you need to understand this. Listen very closely. Because evolutionists does everything they can to divide us on this topic. We are not multiracial. We are multicultural. And there is a huge difference. We are one race. We are the human race. Jesus died. It is evolution that comes in and says, no, we came from monkeys. And so we got this group, then this group, and this group, and this group is a higher group than this. I mean, that's Hitler's whole line. That's the that's Iranians' whole line today. That's the whole message of anybody being superior over anybody else. And Paul says, no, there's there. There's all mankind, and we all descended from one man. We are multicultural, but along that same line, one man also came to die for us. And then what's the money passage here? He said, in the past, God overlooked ignorance. Right? I love it. That's just pretty straightforward. In the past, God overlooked ignorance, as he's pointing to all their idols. <clears throat> but now he commands everybody to repent Turn away from this and follow the living God. <clears throat> I don't know what you're chasing. And I want to say this because this, this comes up in our society. You may be, your superstition might be about money. It might be about a position or power. Or you may be caught up in some kind of witchcraft. Ouija boards and seances and uh, uh, horoscopes and different things like that. Listen, you got to get rid of all that junk. Get that junk out of your house. Quit, get that stuff out of your mind. Because <clears throat> there is one God. And he says, from one man, God made all men. And what else? One man, the final Adam, Jesus, will judge all mankind. So they never heard anything like this before. So some of them get mad at him because it's an insult in their God. Others say, well, let's, uh, let's hear some more about this. But some of them right then accept Jesus. I don't know where you're at in that crowd. 
that if you need Jesus, you can come right up here to my right. If you need prayer, to the left. Maybe you're dealing with some superstitious stuff you need to get rid of. Get it out of your life. Come up here and talk to people. Pray with people. If you're online, you hit the button, I've decided Pastor John is there. He'll be happy to uh, to talk with you. But I like how Joby Martins writes it. Joby's a pastor at the 1122, a giant church up in uh, Jacksonville. And Joby said, when we worship God, it's a reminder that there is a throne. And it's a reminder that you and I aren't on it. Now, have you noticed that all mankind, all mankind has an innate desire to worship? I don't care whether you worship Jesus or Buddha or a tree or you worship science or you worship the earth. There is an innate desire to worship. Where did that come from? Because evolution could not have created an innate desire to worship. That's an emotion. Where did that come from? Well, God put it in us. And it's up to us to channel it into the right direction. So let me finish with this. Devin Allen. Uh, Devin Allen plays for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. He's a world-class sprinter. And he was in the world championships last week. And uh, he really is one of the fastest men in the world. And he was disqualified. He came out of the blocks one one-thousandth of a second too early. One one-thousandth of a second. And he was disqualified. Now, for those of you that think, well, I'm a pretty good person. Okay, God's perfect. He's all holy. He's all righteous. Tell me when you get to God, can you at least admit that you're one one thousandth off? Most of us are about 99% off. But but the truth is, if you're one thousandth, if you're one thousandth of, of a second off, you still get disqualified. That's why Jesus came, was to pay the price, to shed the blood on the cross, to bring forgiveness to all of us. And 2 Peter 3.9 says this, it's God's will that no one, no one should perish. So Father, as we wrap this up, I pray that you would move in hearts, watching online, here in person, Palm Bay, DeLand, uh, those who will watch it later. Holy Spirit, have your way amongst us. May our hearts be stirred. May, be, may we be willing to embrace and talk about the unknown God for so many people. And Father, may we remember that it is one, one man. One man that started it and one man that's going to be the judge of all. In Jesus' name, amen.